Make sure to give my dad a five-star review. Get, make sure to like and subscribe to his YouTube. And thank you for listening and enjoy the show. show. <laughs> you know, I think the Ninth Amendment argument is an effective rejoinder to the argument that says, well, it's if the right to abortion is not in the text, that means it doesn't exist. Because the Ninth Amendment, I think, makes really clear that um, the framers of the Bill of Rights uh, wanted to foreclose that argument. They didn't want future generations to say, well, well, because this right isn't explicitly listed, you necessarily don't have it. Um, However, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that any particular right exists. In other words, that doesn't mean there is a constitutional right to abortion. It, it, in my mind, it just means that the fact that the Constitution's text doesn't explicitly grant the right to abortion isn't necessarily the case. Hi, this is Josh Bertram. Welcome to Faithful Politics. We got... Um, we got our buddy, Will Wright, our political host. Will, how are things going right now? They're going well. Pollen season is in full effect, and I've been reading out of the good book of Claire 10316, um, <laughs> No Pollen Shall Form Against Me, um, because it's really bad. It is. So it's weird. And we have, well, we have Professor um, Eric Berger. Is it, how do you say it? Is, uh, is it Esquire? Do you go by Esquire? Uh, no. I mean, I guess, I guess technically, but no, I don't go <laughs> by. You just call me, call me Eric, please. Does he, uh, yeah, I would use that all the time. If I had Esquire, <laughs> I would just make me, people call me Esquire. I feel like. But uh, it's so good to have you back. Professor Berger has been on our um, show a few times, actually. He's, um, he's, um, on staff at the Nebraska College, University of Nebraska College of Law, um, an expert in the Constitution, teaches constitutional law and, and all sorts of awesome stuff. And you can check him out if you go to law.unl.edu and look up Eric Berger and all his stuff. It's B-E-R-G-E-R and uh, really, really um, accomplished scholar, legal scholar, and now becoming more of a friend. For us, this is like the third or fourth time, right, that we've been able to talk, and it's really cool to uh, to see it. And it's cool to see you not in a suit. I'm used to seeing you in a suit. <laughs> is that right? I don't even remember. A suit or like time, a, but, some uh, kind of, like, you know, just like, um, not that you don't look nice. I don't want <laughs> but it's nice to see, it. yeah, I mean, I, I a collar shirt or whatever. I, I normally wear, um, wear whatever, like just like normal stuff. Actually, it's funny because Will, um, the old political host, he we went on C-SPAN. Did we tell you that, Eric? We went on C-SPAN. Yeah, oh, no, that's we awesome. got we got um, featured on C-SPAN um, on one of their shows, highlighting podcasts, and um, and we got on there as the strangest experience because we couldn't see each other and we couldn't see um, the interviewer. We could hear him, but we couldn't see him. We could just see ourselves, but it totally looks like in the interview that we're all talking and we're all there seeing each other, but that was not the case at all. 
And it was funny because he didn't even, I was wearing a suit and he didn't even know, Will didn't even know I was wearing a suit. And he was like wearing some hippie looking thing. Yeah, some hippie looking <laughs> t-shirt that said something offensive on as, it. As, as the liberal, I was dressed like a liberal and Josh was very much dressed like the Republican. <laughs> that was right there. Always good to, you know, live up to stereotypes, right? <laughs> yeah, dress the part, you know? Exactly. You know, I've said before when I've been on your show that... Um, I think it, it's so important for liberals and conservatives to speak to each other. I think it's really distressing yeah. uh, the state of our nation right now. I think, uh, you know, we're really so divided. So having a show where people can come together in good faith, um, you know, pe people of faith and people who care about politics and who might disagree with each other about important things and, you know, try to find common ground. And if not, to agree to, you know, disagree respectfully and, 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 and to realize that we all want what's good for this country, uh, it, it's it's really important and never been more important, something, something like this. So I really uh, applaud what you're doing, and I'm glad you're getting the, the recognition you deserve. Yeah, well, thank you so much. That means a lot. Um, but it's so great to have you on. We're looking forward to this conversation. We're actually going to be talking about um, abortion today, the legal aspects of it, um, again, with uh, – Looks like we're coming up on potentially Roe v. Wade being, um, what what do you call it? What is it? Is it, uh, I almost said recanted, but that's not, like overruled. Overturned. Overruled. There you go. There you go. It will be, but where the Supreme Court of this, this term, and uh, in all likelihood, a decision will come by the end of June. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. So, yeah, so just to get us started, like, what, if you could just, uh, how, like, just kind of describe for us as you see it and as you know it, um, Eric, the, uh, the state and the atmospheric context of abortion, le the legal aspects of it, of abortion in America, because people think all sorts of things about it, they think all sorts of like we have all sorts of ideas and we think about Roe v. Wade and a lot of people maybe don't even know that one of the major issues, right, was privacy in Roe v. Wade. I mean, it's like, what? Like, what does that have to do with babies? But like, you know, so many people like have different views to this. So what what kind of walk us through the legal, right. you know, legal process and legal history of abortion here as you see it you and know, understand so it in America? Like that's brought us right. to where we are um, now. So I guess it might be helpful to start in the 1960s. In the 1960s, most abortions were illegal in most states. Um, so most states uh, criminalized abortion, and um, there was no constitutional right to an abortion. Um, despite the fact that um, abortion was illegal in most states, abortion still happened, uh, and they happened for two or in two different ways. Um, there were some cities and states that just didn't enforce their abortion laws. Um, so in those places, um, a pregnant woman who wanted an abortion could go into a doctor's office or a hospital clinic and get an abortion. Uh, and it was technically against the law, um, but everyone knew in those places the law wasn't being enforced. And that's actually somewhat similar to um, roughly that same era there were laws prohibiting contraception in, in some states, and it was sort of the same thing. It was on the books, but nobody enforced it. And um, 
and a lot of people would have been you know astonished to think that it would be enforced. In other parts of the country, though, the laws were enforced, so you couldn't get an abortion at a doctor's office or a hospital. Um, and there were lots of women who got, you know, what some people call back alley abortions using primitive methods, um, you know, very, very obviously very dangerous procedures. They can be unsanitary. Um, and that resulted in, you know, uh, women dying and, and many other women suffering serious uh, medical harm. You know, because they were illegal and, um, you know, we, we don't have accurate numbers about how many abortions there were, but there are some studies that estimate that in the in the 1960s, there were roughly a, a million abortions per year. Um, so um, so abortion still was happening, um, um, but uh, it, it, it wasn't legal. And, um, and and as I said, um, a good number of women died or suffered serious medical harm as a result of that. Um, you know, public opinion on abortion changed really radically and really quickly in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Um, according to Gallup polling um, in, I think, in 1969, uh, only about 40 percent of Americans supported abortion rights. By 1972, that had climbed to 64 percent. Um, that's an astonishing change wow. in just a few years. Wow. 40 percent to 64 percent in just three years. Now, it's so astonishing that it makes me wonder a little bit how reliable are those polling numbers. Um, but even right. if they're not entirely accurate, I think they are largely accurate in um, demonstrating a dramatic shift in Americans' attitudes towards abortion. Um, one other thing I'll point out about the early by pre-Roe politics of abortion is it did not break down along either the political or the religious lines we're used today. Um, and I don't think that is of mm. legal significance, but I think it is of historical significance. Uh, so in the early 1970s, Absolutely. around 1972, um, I think about 68% of Republicans agreed with the statement that the decision to have an abortion should be left to a woman um, and her physician, um, whereas a smaller number, 58% um, of Democrats did, according according to this poll. So both a, a majority of both Democrats and Republicans in 1972 favored a right to abortion, but a much higher percentage of Republicans did. And obviously... Um, you know, the, the, the politics of that have just shifted dramatically. Um, you might ask, well, why was that? What, why? Um, so I think there are two explanations. Um, the first is that the political parties were far less ideologically polarized and even less ideologically rigid than they are today. So, you know, whereas mm -hmm. today um, Democrats and you know, march in lockstep on a bunch of uh, social and political issues and Republicans march in lockstep on a bunch of uh, political and social issues. That just wasn't the case in the 1950s and 60s. Um, so mm -hmm. there were um, lots of liberal Republicans and lots of conservative Democrats. Um, the other reason um, um, is um, Catholics voted, major majority Catholics voted Democrat and Catholics were overwhelmingly opposed to abortion. So 
um, that's another reason why Democrats uh, opposed abortion more than Republicans did in the early 1970s. Incidentally, um, um, Protestants, including evangelical Protestants, t- tended to favor abortion rights at that point in the in, in the early 70s, uh, including groups yeah. like Southern Baptist Ministry, um, which I think is sort of astonishing to us today, given how influential the uh, evangelical movement uh, for the large part yes. has been in opposing abortion rights. Obviously, there's some evangelicals who favor abortion uh, rights, but... Um, uh, but I, on the whole, I think in contemporary America, we tend to think of evangelical Protestants as strongly opposed to abortion. Uh, that also wasn't the case in the, Absolutely. In, 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 in the early 1970s. So, um, you know, so you had changing poll numbers where abortion is becoming um, or far or abortion rights are becoming far more popular in, 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 in public opinion. But. Um, state laws don't always catch up immediately with uh, public opinion. And even though in this era there were some states that did vote to liberalize their abortion laws, I think only four actually completely legalized abortion. Um, And I believe, I don't have it in front of me, but if memory serves, I believe it was Alaska, Hawaii, New York, and Washington. Um, wow. Um, and there, there were some other states that, that didn't entirely legalize abortion, but that res- relaxed restrictions on abortion. But there were other states that didn't. And um, I think one reason for this is it's just hard to achieve anything in the legislative process. Uh, I think anyone who's tried to get a bill through Congress or even state legislatures knows there are lots of veto gates along the way. And even uh, measures that are popular sometimes get defeated along the way for various uh, political reasons. And of course, the politics weren't the same in state to state. And in some of those states, the right to abortion was still unpopular. So um, this is also the era of um, the rise of of women's rights. Uh, The Equal Rights Amendment was um, uh, getting on the table, uh, which uh, would have um, given women equal rights under the Constitution. There was a burgeoning feminist movement, and there were um, lots of women who were just unwilling to wait for state laws to catch up with uh, public uh, opinion. So um, they started challenging abortion restrictions in court. And by the time you get to 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court has the famous case of Roe v. Wade um, uh, on it, uh, um, before it. Um, so in January of 1973, uh, the Supreme Court, in an opinion by Harry Blackman, um, ruled that a Texas law that criminalized abortion, I think in all instances except to save the woman's life, um, was unconstitutional. Um, and Josh, as you said earlier, it rooted this ruling in the right to privacy. Um, and there are things about that that are kind of odd. Um, so one thing that's kind of odd is when you think about what 
you know, whether or not one believes in the right to abortion, when you think about, well, what is it about um, a state saying you can't have an abortion? What, uh, what, what, what kind of right does it really implicate? Um, a lot of people would say, well, it might implicate women's ability to participate, participate equally in society and in the economy, or it might implicate things like decisional autonomy, a woman's ability to make important decisions about reproduction and about her body. Um, privacy, you know, maybe is part of the equation, but it doesn't seem to be as core part of the equation. So it did seem like an odd place to root it. Um, yeah, it seems really odd. I'm just just interrupt you for a second, because I think this is important as you're bringing us the context. It's, it's awesome. It's so nice. To, I mean, it's so cool to just hear it in one place instead of going to all over, you know, all these different sources to find it. But um, how is it that we can, because obviously abortion isn't, there's no, abortion isn't in the Constitution, right? There's, the word abortion is not in the Constitution. It's not there, it's not said. How is it that we can take, like, just, because this has always kind of confused me, how can we find these rights? Like, what's the process that they use to say, oh, yeah, abortion isn't in there, but this protects abortion. Like, how is it that we can get from right. A to no, B? That's, it's a, it, or it, it seems like sometimes it's A yeah. to Z, and we don't even know what, you know, B through X. Uh, well, it's, 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 it's a great, great question. Um, and, you know, I'll try to give a concise answer, though. You know, these are sort of questions that one can spend an entire law school semester trying trying to wrestle with. You know, I think, um, well, you know, I, I, I suppose as a preliminary matter, I think it's worth saying that legal scholars disagree with each other about whether, about how problematic this is, right? And I think there's some legal scholars who would say something along the lines of what you just said, Josh, which is it's not in the Constitution's text. Uh, judges have an obligation when they're interpreting the Constitution to follow the Constitution's text. And uh, if it's not in there, judges shouldn't read it into the Constitution and that doing so risks importing their own values. Um, I think there are a few counter arguments to that. Uh, one counter argument is if you pick up, you know, a constitutional law case book and they're, they're pretty thick. Um, actually, I don't know. I, I just picked it up and showed it to you guys. Are, are we? Can, can 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 your viewers see us, or do they just hear us? Yeah, <laughs> they won't be able to. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people are hearing. Can't, okay. but. Yeah. So, so for, for, for those that are only listening, um, Eric just picked up like a two ton book. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that had yeah, he lots was of struggling things. to pick yeah. that thing up, dude. It's like he was <laughs> I'm getting out. old, man. Um, um, so the, um, you know, so if you, if if you study constitutional law, I think one of the things you'll learn pretty quickly is that not all, but many of the important doctrines we learn in law school are actually not rooted in the text of the Constitution. Uh, some might have kind of loose connections to the text. Others don't appear in the text at all. Others are kind of creative extrapolations from text. Some seem to fly directly in the face of the text. So uh, just as a historical matter, um, the argument that 
uh, because a particular right, like say the right to abortion, isn't found in the Constitution, um, isn't really decisive as a constitutional matter. Because if we really required strict adherence to text, the vast majority of U.S. constitutional law would have to be reconsidered. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, a sort of second argument that is more uh, precisely connected to uh, individual rights is there is a, a, a textual, uh, uh, the Ninth Amendment's text in the Constitution uh, explicitly says that the fact that other rights are enumerated in the text of the Constitution should not be construed to mean that other rights don't exist. Um, in other words, when James Madison in particular and, and uh, some of his contemporaries were contemplating the idea of a Bill of Rights, Madison initially was strongly opposed to a Bill of Rights. Um, and that's sort of a whole difference. You know, we could, we could have a whole meeting about that. But um, one of the many reasons he was initially opposed to the Bill of Rights, he said, well, there, you know, we, will, we won't be able to list everything that's important. It's inevitable we'll forget things that are important or the things that are just right. not on our radar screen that might be important. And there's going to be some clever lawyer out there in the future who, if we list rights A through Z or, you know, one through 10, they're going to say, well, what about right 11? And that lawyer is going to say, well, you didn't include right 11. So the fact that you included one through 10 suggests that number 11 isn't included. And Madison was very concerned. Hmm. So the Ninth Amendment explicitly addresses that issue and says effectively, well, just because we didn't list it doesn't mean you don't have it. Now, um, I guess two caveats to make about the Ninth Amendment argument. One is, you know, I think. I think the Ninth Amendment argument is an effective rejoinder to the argument that says, well, it's if the right to abortion is not in the text, that means it doesn't exist. Because the Ninth Amendment, I think, makes really clear that um, the framers of the Bill of Rights uh, wanted to foreclose that argument. They didn't want future generations to say, well, well, because this right isn't explicitly listed, you necessarily don't have it. Um, however, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that any particular right exists. In other words, that doesn't mean there is a constitutional right to abortion. It, it, in my mind, it just means that the fact that the Constitution's text doesn't explicitly grant the right to abortion isn't necessarily decisive. Uh, so that's the first caveat about the Ninth Amendment. The second caveat about the Ninth Amendment is that the U.S. Supreme Court has paid almost no attention to it in 220 years. Um, um, the most attention they paid to it was actually in a concurring opinion about the right to contraception that was decided in the 1960s, a case called Griswold, decided actually only not that many years before Roe v. Wade. Um, but, um, but, but they haven't really cited it much at all. And they've barely relied on it at all. Um, so um, while I think in, I, I, I think the justices have, I think their doctrine reflects the Ninth Amendment principle insofar as lots of rights that they have recognized cannot be found explicitly in the Constitution. It's, 
it's kind of odd that they haven't referenced the Ninth Amendment more in recognizing those rights. And I think one of the reasons might be, well, it's hard to come up with neutral principles under the Ninth Amendment to decide which rights count and which rights don't count. Um, but it, it, and in, in, in all events, it, it, it makes the area sort of doctrinally um, uh, 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 a mess. So I guess long story short, uh, Josh, there are um, legal scholars who make the same argument you do. Right to abortion isn't in the Constitution, uh, therefore it doesn't exist. Um, but you know, as I, as as I said, I think there, there there are counter arguments to that textual argument. That doesn't necessarily mean that Roe v. Wade was rightly decided. Um, but, um, but 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 it is an argument that that you can't rely entirely on the constitutional text to understand. Uh, Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, Josh Bertram here, faithful host of the Faithful Politics Podcast. I want to let you know about a compelling new spinoff, The Faith Roundtable, where I'll be interviewing top faith leaders, theologians, and scholars to unpack the pressing issues that are shaping the church in America today. We'll dive into topics like faith and public life, social justice, and how we can engage our communities more effectively. Make sure you don't miss any of our enlightening conversations by subscribing to it on our YouTube channel. Join me at the Faith Roundtable, where deep discussion meets thoughtful insight. That makes a lot of sense. Like, I mean, you know, so when I'm thinking about this, I one thing is that, um, like, it, it reminds me a lot of the Bible, you know, and interpreting interpreting the Bible. Like, there are, you know, one thing that's very interesting: abortion isn't mentioned in the Constitution. It's not mentioned in the Bible either. And it existed back then. There's no place that mentions abortion. There are some places that are, you know, that, that explicitly outlaws abortion. There, there is no explicit outlaw of abortion um, in, in Scripture. We had a great um, Old Testament scholar, Tripper Longman, come on, and, it's, uh, um, and he talked about that, and he, and he went through kind of some of the arguments there. So it, it, the, the idea that you need to take a text and apply it when there it isn't going to be explicitly there. Um, that makes, I mean, that makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering, like, is it, is it wrong when anti-abortion activists use, you know, the, the colloquial term, like it's unconstitutional what you're doing, you know, with the laws, like, is that, is that statement wrong is it nuanced um, or is it like, you know, just taken out of context? When when, uh, when abortion supporters say that, for instance, that state laws that are currently being passed interfere with the right to abortion. Or- oh, no, no, no. Like like when 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 people that are pro-choice say, you know, the laws that you're doing, you know, in right. Texas, Oklahoma, what have you, like it's unconstitutional you know, that you're passing right. these laws. Like, is that, is that a correct I mean, way to, to a, phrase it? Under current Supreme Court doctrine, I think that is a correct statement. In other words, right now, April 15th, 2022, um, Roe v. Wade um, is still the law of the land. It has not yet been ruled. So there is a constitutional right to abortion. And therefore, these uh, laws that, uh, you know, that are prohibiting abortions 
or unconstitutional under current doctrine. Uh, however, as everyone knows, the U.S. Supreme Court is currently considering the Dobbs case out of Mississippi, um, and uh, there's a pretty good chance that it will, uh, at the very least, um, cut back on Roe v. Wade and quite possibly overrule it altogether, in which case those state laws prohibiting abortion that were, are unconstitutional today in April 2022 we, will be constitutional you know, in July 2022. You know, we'll obviously have to wait to see what the Supreme Court says. But, but as a matter yeah. of current law, it is not correct. It is, it is correct to say those laws are unconstitutional. Got it. So, so if, so in the, um, the, the Dobbs v. Jackson case, um, and like you said, that that's currently, um, I guess we're, we're waiting for the opinion. I think the arguments yeah. are over if I, if that's I recall, no, but, um, and they're, I think they're planning on what, giving their opinions in June or July sometime. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like, so, so how, how will that case affect Roe v. Wade. So for, for us non, you know, uh, law people, um, we hear that, okay, if they, if they rule, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's in favor or against, but if they rule in such a way that it makes abortion, uh, illegal or makes abortion or limits people's ability to get an abortion in Mississippi, how does that affect Roe v. Wade or how does that overturn, overrule Roe v. So, Wade? Um, you know, what Roe essentially said is that um, Roe set up a trimester framework and then a subsequent case called Casey from the early 1990s kind of tweaked Roe. But Roe did not say there was an absolute right to abortion. But Roe basically said in the first trimester, women states cannot prohibit women to get an, from getting an abortion. In the second trimester... Uh, states can pass laws that regulate abortion to protect the women's health. And in the third trimester, states can prohibit abortions altogether if they want to. Um, um, as I said, Casey tweaked it a little, changed the doctrine a little bit, but it upheld the basic right, right to an abortion. But under both Roe and Casey, um, abortion isn't a sort of absolute right. Um, in other words, states can't prohibit abortions before a certain time, uh, but they uh, can prohibit it after a certain time. After Casey, the line is viability, uh, which is when a, a fetus can survive outside the womb, which I think is roughly 23 or 24 weeks or something like that. So one important point to make about both Roe and Casey and the current law in April 2022 is um, it the Supreme Court is saying that states cannot prohibit abortions before a certain date, um, or, you know, before a certain point in the pregnancy. Again, now under Casey, it's it's viability. So. If the Supreme Court in Dobbs were to overrule Roe, that would mean that Roe is no longer good law. Um, and that would mean that there is no constitutional right to an abortion anymore. And that would effectively turn the question back to the state legislatures, uh, which in effect would mean 
that you have that certain states, mostly red, you know, Republican uh, states, heavily Republican states, red, what we call red states, um, either have already or would pass laws that uh, either sharply limit or entirely remove a woman's right to an abortion. Um, but, you know, blue states, Democratic states uh, would not. So uh, blue states um, would still offer a right to uh, offer abortions and it abortions would be legal in those states. Um, but red states would not. And then there would probably be some, you know, purple swing states that would, you know, could kind of go, 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 go either way. So again, if so, if Dobbs were to overrule Roe, uh, that would not mean abortions are prohibited across the country. It would mean that it's up to state legislatures. Now, there are some conservatives who want to see the Supreme Court take the additional step and say that abortion is prohibit is is flat, flatly prohibited. Um, sure. That would be an extraordinary change. Um, and I think, you know, at oral argument in the Dobbs case, um, Justice Kavanaugh, one of the conservatives, um, seemed uh, unsympathetic to, to, to that position. And my guess is Chief Justice Roberts would also be unsympathetic to that position. So I would be very surprised if there were five votes for that, uh, because that would be taking the matter entirely out of the hands of the states. Um, but... Um, but what is, um, you know, what is far more possible, and I think a lot of observers think likely, is the court in Dobbs will say Roe's overruled, and as a and as a result, you know, states like Oklahoma are going to prohibit abortions altogether, and states like Massachusetts will still have them. Does that does that make sense? So, yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense, and I. And, and I, the Washington Post has a great. Um, we found a couple of them. Well, I the the Guttmacher, Guttmacher Institute. I'm sure I'm butchering the name. And then the Washington Post. They ha, they both have. I'm sure there are other sites, but they have like lists of all the different laws, like in all the states about abortion, like which ones would be trigger laws, um, which states have trigger laws. I guess they. Is that what they're called when they come? Like, basically, if it's overruled, it automatically takes right. effect. So, I guess, like, so, so let's just imagine, let's just imagine that the Supreme Court comes and says, Roe is overturned, overruled. How How is it that they could then go further and say, and it's, illegal everywhere like so like i mean congress isn't writing a law like that's not congress writing a law that it's illegal so so that opinion becomes law i guess what i'm trying to like how does that actually work where is that opinion now that is like basically considered law just the same way a constant like just the same way like a law that's gone through the legislative process is a law. So, so it's a really, does that question yeah, no, make it sense? Does, it does make sense. I mean, I, I guess the first thing to reiterate something I said earlier is um, that would really be an extraordinary holding. And I think sure, most yes. observers do not think 
the court will do that. I would be actually pretty astounded if the court did that in Dobbs. Um, now, whether yeah. some of the really conservative justices like Justice Thomas, Justice Alito, and Justice Gorsuch might see Dobbs as a stepping stone to eventually getting to that uh, that more extreme holding down the line, I don't know. Some some um, commentators sure. have suggested that uh, that that might be their end game. Um, you know, if they did that, you know, it would the 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 reasoning would be something like um, fetuses are unborn fetuses are the same thing as born people. Therefore, they are lives that are protected by uh, the 14th Amendment. You know, the due Pro process clause of the 14th Amendment prohibits states from taking uh, life, liberty or property without due process of law. So the reasoning would be something like laws that permit abortion um, violate, you know, take those lives without due process and therefore are unconstitutional. So it would be a constitutional ruling, um, you know, ironically, kind of similar uh, to Roe v. Wade itself in that it's rooted in presumably the due process clause of the 14th Amendment that then you know, would apply throughout the country because the Constitution is the sup supreme law of the land. Um, again, I don't think the Supreme Court is going to do that this summer. You know, the problem making predictions is you can easily be proven wrong. And I've uh, predicted <laughs> things in the past and have been very wrong. Uh, but, sure, uh, yeah. but, you know, the parties were not arguing that in this case. Um, and um, as I said, I think at least, you know, as I think, you know, and as probably most of your listeners know, you know, if you look at the ideological breakdown of the court right now, there are six Republican just Republican appointed justices, three Democratic appointed justices, um, and unlike in some past generations where uh, the party of appointment is not necessarily a good proxy for uh, justices' ideology, nowadays it is. So basically, we have six conservatives and three liberals, um, but um, you still need five to get to a majority, and I would be astonished if out of those six justices you would get five votes for that. Uh, you might get a few, but I don't. I, I, I would be surprised if you get five. Um, certainly not now. Now again, you know there there are changes in the law that have happened uh, that ten years ago I think a lot of us would have found astonishing. So you know it could be kind of in, incremental. So. If, if, if we come, if we meet again in a couple of years, it could be that something I'm saying uh, that sounds off the wall now could actually be on the wall in a, in, 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 in a few years. Um, but totally. But, um, but 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 that's that's sort of how it would work. Now, I, I so I, I have a question. So the 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 last um, our last interview um, was with a. Um, anti-abortion activist, author, um, Abby Johnson. So like they made a whole movie called Unplanned about like her experience. She was a director at Planned Parenthood and um, she basically quit after eight years um, having witnessed like an abortion herself. And in our, in our conversation, she had, she had mentioned, you know, you know, that life begins at conception um, and that she doesn't even take birth control. Um, and, and I'm, 
wondering if there is, you know, if there's this threat, this fear or possibility that should Roe v. Wade get overturned, um, that maybe at the state level, um, that they even, you know, like, like they, they redefine, um, what abortion really means. And it's, you know, somehow it's, it's at conception and then they outlaw like birth control. Is that, is that, is that something that's even possible or am I just Do you mean the morning it? after pill? Um, uh, is that what you mean? Like once it like before it's implanted on the wall? No, like, like, e like even just like the, like the monthly, the monthly, you know, pills that, that you take. Gotcha. Like the birth control pills mm -hmm. that would, yeah, gotcha. You know, I think, um, well, I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess I'll say a few things, you know, one, one point I'll make, uh, you know, John Hart Ely, who was a prominent constitutional scholar in the second half of the 20th century. You know, he once said something along the lines that, you know, abortion is really difficult because on the one hand, um, it seems uh, too much. Uh, on the one hand, it seems like infanticide. On the other hand, it seems like contraception. Um, and, you know, which it is, uh, is going to determine our views on it. I mean, I think almost everybody thinks that killing babies is terribly, terribly wrong and has to be illegal. Um, you know, today in 2022, certainly a majority of a significant majority of Americans, I think, favor the right to contraception. Um, now, there are, as you point out, Will, there are some contrac you know, different contraceptions work different ways. And those that might um, uh, take effect after sperm is fertilized the egg, depending on one's conception of these things, you know, I suppose could be thought of as abortion. Uh, we're not at that point yet, um, but it's certainly possible that the Supreme Court could write an opinion in such a way that would inspire anti-abortion groups to take further to take further steps to criminalize or to make illegal certain kinds of contraceptive methods. And then, you know, that might get tested in 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 the courts again. You know, I think one of the you know, one of the things I tell my class when we do abortion is one of the things that's so hard about it and so hard talking about it as a legal matter is I don't really think there are neutral judicial principles that can sort of definitively decide the issue for us. And I think to some extent, it just depends on how do you, does one see a fetus, a, a pre-viability fetus? And if you think a fetus is the moral equivalent of a born human, um, then abortion is murder. And even if you think the woman has an important right to control her own body, presumably the right to protect against murder would trump uh, that woman's interest in her liberty, in which case banning abortion makes perfect sense. Uh, by contrast, if you think a fetus is not the equivalent of a born human being, um, you know, then abortion seems a lot more like contraception. And then the woman's interest in equality and ability to make important decisions about her body and about reproduction um, would seem to trump the state's interest in prohibiting, you know, what is it, 
what is effectively a kind of contraception. You know, and what's difficult is there's no scientific answer to the question of what a fetus is. I think that's a question each yeah. of us, you know, each person sort of has to decide for themselves. And that, of course, includes the Supreme Court justices. So each of them has their right. own personal view of that question. And their personal view of that question is necessarily going to drive their legal analysis. But no matter how impartial they're trying to be, I don't think one can answer that question of whether a fetus is a person solely by reference to, uh, you know, to it, to the, to, you know, to the law. You know, you, you, you can look, you know, perhaps to things like, well, how, how do we think about fetuses in, uh, in our, in our culture more generally? Um, I don't know that those, the, 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 those are, are, are definitive though. Yeah, I, I, actually, um, so if if there's a decision, um, and, and I, I hate to kind of throw out these hypotheticals at you, but these are just the things that I'm thinking about and things that I know our, our listeners and whatnot um, have asked, um, is that if, if a decision is made that a fetus is a person, um, wouldn't it reason that um, a place, you know, that, that favors abortion um, or a person that favors abortion would would ask that that person have all the same inalienable rights as I don't know, like you or I, or or have the benefit of. So, if my wife is pregnant, you know, before the baby is out of the is out of her, um, and before we give birth, I should probably say that's probably a better way to put it. Um, then would we be able to claim that baby on our taxes or? add them on our life insurance or, you know, like, like just the, the normal things that people do when they have kids. Uh, yeah. um, so question. like, would, 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 would that, would that be something that, that, that somebody can make an argument, a strong argument for, um, if, if they determine you know, that a fetus is I, a know, person. I suppose if the court were to explicitly say a fetus is the exact same thing as a person, those that sort of like parade of future questions would be before us. I think what is more likely is that the court won't explicitly say that. But what if, if the court overrules Roe, it would say something like the right to an abortion is not a right that is properly found in the liberty component of the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. Uh, and it wouldn't take a stance on whether a fetus is uh, a person or not. You know, rather, it would say that there's no constitutional support for the idea that a person has a constitutional right to an abortion. And again, that would leave the matter to, um, to, 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 to the states. I think that's the more likely way the court would, would resolve the, uh, the question. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that, you know, when you're talking about that, well, what it made me think of and, and, and what I was even thinking of several times throughout this is this idea with the trickiness of abortion, right? Is it, is it, is it, are you serious, dude? Oh, no, you have a fire? I have, is there, have is a it a fire alarm? Oh, Hey, that's fine. Well, let me ask this question and you can answer it. And then, but I know I apologize for that in the background, but so it's at the center yeah, the, at the center of this idea is 
that you have a legal definition of a person, a moral definition of a person, a scientific definition of a person. Like you have all these different things, right, that come together and the way people form their opinions on who's a person and who isn't. And it's like, I guess my question is, legally, what, how do we define, do we define a person legally? Is that personhood defined legally? And at what point do we define it legally? And what legal principles do we use to even define well, what a person? I mean, I mean it's, a, it's a great question. I, I, don't, I don't have a great, great answer. I think you filibustered the, um, the fire alarm. I think... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he just oh, muted okay. himself. <laughs> um, so, well, I mean, don't catch on fire, Josh. And, um, uh, you know, I think the, um, you know, one way of thinking of it is those are all difficult questions. And really, in a sense, the constitutional question is who should decide that? And what a lot of the opponents of Roe v. Wade have argued is that issue should be left to the state legislatures. In other words, rather than having federal judges, you know, effectively the nine justices on the U.S. Supreme Court or some slim majority of those nine decide that question is wrong in a democracy, that uh, in a democracy we leave those decisions ultimately up to the people. And by leaving it to the people, we uh, leave it to our to each state's legislatures to decide how to treat abortion. And effectively, those state legislatures are making that determination. Now, I don't know that there any of them are making it with great philosophical depth or precision, but they're essentially trying to reflect the values of their constituents and saying this is how we're going to treat it. Um, so I think that's one way of looking at it. This is effectively a really difficult moral decision, and we shouldn't have federal judges dictate to the rest of the country what their morals should be. We should leave that up to each of the each of the 50 states. You know, obviously, the counter argument is that if there is not a right to abortion, that impinges a great deal on many women's liberty and that there are women who get pregnant um, who did not intend the pregnancy, you know, so, uh, many of whom actually were on contraception and it failed, and uh, carrying a baby to term for nine months is um, uh, an infringement on liberty, and, and having to care for a child, um, you know, is obviously a life-altering uh, event, and that, um, you know, so, so the counter-argument would be that no government should tell an individual that they have to do that, that um, that yeah. no, no government should tell a woman that she um, has to have a pregnancy she doesn't want and has to have a baby that she doesn't want. So th those are some of the competing ways of, of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think uh, uh, Josh, uh, Josh just messaged me that he'll he, he may return, but depending on the <laughs> the current yeah i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure he is that that is kind of uh uh annoying but uh, i mean they make fire alarms right. for a reason right, right? so uh <laughs> but, you know i i i'm curious there uh what what so so with all these states coming in with their anti-abortion laws and i think um i think oklahoma has probably one of the most stricter ones that just 
think they signed it. I can't remember if that's the state they signed it and it got vetoed and, or maybe I'm thinking Kentucky. Uh, but, um, you know, how, how are they able? I mean, so you get a bunch of state legislators, they say, we're going to do this thing. It, it, the thing that they do is completely in on its face, uh, in opposition to what, um, the law say, like, how are, how are they, how are they able to do that? Um, I mean, I know states have a lot of power, but it's like if, if Virginia all of a sudden voted that they wanted to make slavery, you know, like legal again, <laughs> like I, I like to think they wouldn't be able well, to, even if they, well, had they voted certainly before. wouldn't be able to, because the 13th amendment very explicitly prohibits slavery. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I think reasonable people can disagree about whether the Constitution protects a right to abortion, and there are plausible arguments on both sides of that issue. Uh, there are not plausible arguments on both sides of the slavery issue. The 13th Amendment, in no uncertain terms, uh, prohibits it. Uh, and that obviously was ratified in 1865 at the end of the Civil War um, and, you know, you know, resolved once and for all the... Um, the biggest moral uh, issue this country had to face and it's you know the first uh, 80 some years of the constitution so state legislatures mm -hmm. powers are not unlimited and they're limited by the constitution the question of course is uh what does the constitution permit and what doesn't it permit um you know the supremacy clause of the constitution also makes clear that federal law trumps conflicting otherwise valid state law. So federal statutes also can trump state legislatures um, um, where the federal law is, is, is valid. So again, state legislative power is not unlimited. Uh, on the other hand, our system uh, historically and constitutionally has let states um, decide a lot of important issues that um, Go within their borders. You know, questions of health, safety, public welfare, morals are typically left to state legislatures. Uh, but then, of course, there are questions about when does a state legislature go too far? Uh, you know, your slavery example is a case where it clearly goes too far. You know, I think the vast majority of Americans would agree with that, and all nine justices in the U.S. Supreme Court would agree with that. That's an easy case. Um, abortion's a hard case, and as I've sort of tried to lay out early uh, in the com earlier in the conversation, you know there are non-frivolous arguments on on both sides of that of that issue. Uh, one argument that I haven't just flagged yet, but 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 I think is important for your uh, listeners to know about um, is precedent and what role precedent plays. You know, obviously, the um, supporters of the right to abortion. One of the arguments they make is Roe v. Wade has been the law of the land for 49 years, um, and uh, the Supreme Court should respect its own precedent. Um, and the Supreme Court has never before overturned a precedent that granted a right. It's overturned precedents that took rights away, but it hasn't it hasn't overturned a precedent in this kind of way. So when you think about a case like Brown v. Board of Education, which overturned uh, Plessy v. Ferguson, you know, Brown grant, I think probably thought of granted rights, um, uh, where the Dobbs case to overturn Roe 
it would take away rights. Um, you know, the you know, so then the question is, well, how much respect does the U.S. Supreme Court give precedent uh, at the at oral argument in the Dobbs case? Justice Alito signaled pretty clearly that he thought it was proper to overturn precedent that is, uh, you know, clearly wrong. Um, and it, it's pretty clear that he thinks Roe v. Wade is clearly wrong. Um, my mm-hmm. guess is um, Justice Gorsuch and Justice Thomas also think it's clearly wrong. Um so the question is, are there two other votes to do that? Um, I think the other three Republican appointees on the court, uh, Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Kavanaugh and Barrett, my guess is all three of them think Roe was wrong. All three of them don't like abortion. Um, I would guess that the Chief Justice is, you know, he's very concerned about the institutional legitimacy of the Supreme Court and the reputation of the Supreme Court. And my guess would be that he would maybe allow the Mississippi law, which was, I think, a 15-week cutoff to stand, but wouldn't go so far Mm -hmm. as to overrule Roe entirely because he worries, again, that that would just look like too partisan. So then it really turns on Barrett and Kavanaugh, whether they can be the fourth and fifth vote to overturn Roe. Um, And, um, you know, I've read a lot of commentators who think they will be, um, you know, we'll, we'll Probably know within a uh, two to three months. Wow! Yeah that that that's really uh that's really crazy and and I, I so like in a situation like this would would Roberts be the one that writes the opinion um, because it it is such a huge <laughs> like everyone seems to be looking at this case as like okay what's going to happen um, and if it does overturn it then like that's going to be in the history books for sure. Um. So. The senior most justice in the majority on a Supreme Court case gets to decide who writes the opinion. So if the chief justice is in the majority, he could either assign it to himself and very well could, um, or he could assign it to any of the other justices in the majority. Um, There is a possibility that um, the chief justice would not be in the majority, that the chief justice, um, you know, that there would be five votes to overrule Roe and the chief is not willing to go there. Um, In which case, the senior most justice in the majority would be Justice Thomas, and he would get to assign who writes it, and he could either assign it to himself or assign it to uh, Justice Alito or whoever he chose to (laughs) assign it it to. We know he's not going to sign it to anybody. He would take that up <laughs> himself, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. It'll, it'll, it'll be interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, uh, so, so I, I guess if if you were if you were a betting man, <laughs> like what's 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 your uh, what's your sins like probability wise? You think there's greater than a fifty percent chance it'll get overturned or or less? Um. Uh, don't put me on the spot, man. Um, you know, I think there's a much better than 50% chance that the Mississippi law will be upheld. That was, Again, that was the 15-week ban. So I would say, mm-hmm. you know, 80% chance that Roe is cut back in other, uh, and Casey is cut back. You know, Casey, again, set the line at viability. States couldn't prohibit abortions before viability. 
that's 23-ish weeks. I might have the number slightly off, the low 20s. You know, Mississippi set it at 15. Uh, I think there's a pretty good chance that the court will uphold Mississippi's law and uh, and and therefore cut back on at least cut back on the right in Casey by saying states can prohibit abortions earlier than they could under the Casey regime. Uh, I think that's pretty high. I'd say 80 percent, um, maybe even higher. Um, you know, whether the court goes so far as to overrule Roe entirely and say there's no right to abortion at all. States can prohibit abortions whenever they want at whatever point in pregnancy they want, that's closer. Um, you know, I think that's more like 50-50. Maybe if I, you know, yeah. I hate to be put on the spot because I'm always, whatever I guess he's <laughs> doing, always wrong. But I would say I would say slightly better than even that the court overrules Roe. Um, um, but I'm not sure. You know, another thing we haven't talked Maybe. about is, is, is the political implications of this. And, you know, there is an argument that Roe v. Wade is one of the best things that ever happened to the Republican Party, because um, even though the backlash against Roe didn't happen immediately, um, by the time you get got to the late 1970s, um, you had conservative leaders um, sort of galvanizing evangelical communities and actually turning the ev mm. evangelicals from largely pro-choice to very staunchly pro-life. Um, uh, Ronald Reagan um, did a great job of um, using that, uh, sort of like tapping into that sentiment and running on that. And really ever since Reagan, the Republican Party has been a very strongly pro-life party. And, um, and, and I think that issue has really helped mobilize the Republican base. Um, you know, so now were the court to overrule Roe, it's it's hard to know exactly what the political fallout would be. I've, I've read some commentators who say, well, maybe overruling Roe would galvanize um, Democrats the same way that Roe, again, not immediately, but eventually galvanized Republicans. And that maybe Republicans would be less fervent or less reliable voters since they would have accomplished their, their great aim. Um, you know, on the other hand, um, you know, as, as I said before, in all likelihood, if roads overruled, um, it's going to turn the issue back to the states. You know, and then there's still battles in all the state legislatures about whether yeah. um, whether to um make abortion illegal in each of the 50 states. So elections still would uh, have a great impact on, on those issues. And I just mentioned that because I think the justices are um, aware of those political implications and, um, mm -hmm. you know, exactly how that will figure in their decision making. I don't know. Uh, you can be pretty sure that they won't be candid in their opinions about how it does figure. Um, but, but I think mm -hmm. at least in some of the, them, that's going to be in the back of their mind. And I, I just don't know how, um, you know, Justice Kavanaugh in particular would, would weigh those things. Yeah, that, that's so true. And I, uh, I've, I've thought about that, too, that if if it were to be limited or overruled, if it would activate Democrats, um, especially going into a midterm um, election. So 
I mean, here in what, like seven months, um, you know, we're going to be seeing uh, Congress uh, probably change hands and um, the House definitely, um, the Senate yet to be determined. But um, if, if an issue like this would, would activate people, I mean, as a Democrat, I, I would hope it would, but like I've, I've, I've said it for a long time that Democrats are really good at, at snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. Um, so who knows? <laughs> who um, knows? Yeah, I think that, but, um, Hey, right. but Eric, oh, go, no, go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. That, that the democratic party has a, <laughs> has a tremendous capacity of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, Eric, th thanks again so much for, uh, for lending us your, uh, your expertise. Um, we, we really appreciate oh, having you. you. And, uh, you yeah, it's always great to, good to both. Yeah. Of you. I hope to please send my best to Josh. I hope, I hope for sure, for sure. I, I will pass it along. Um, hopefully not, not posthumously. Um, and, um, um, yeah. So, and, and, if you, um, I just lost my train of thought.